Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, everybody. What a morning. It says 53 degrees on my thermometer. We haven't been that cold in, I don't know, have we ever been that cold, I guess. It is beautiful outside. There's a light breeze. The sun is coming up. It is crisp and just a delicious start to Sunday. Now, it's great that we're getting these cooler temperatures at night, especially because when the nighttime temperature stays low, plants get a chance to catch up from the kind of heat that we've had, this gives them an opportunity to really uh, work well with our temperatures. So we can get really, really good growth, really good growth with uh, The temperature had some rain. Some of us had some rain. We still need more rain. Don't get, you know, don't get that wrong. We still need lots more rain. It's not coming yet, but at least we're in a part of the year where it's more likely and because these nighttime temperatures are cooler, it also means that we're um, in a situation where the plants don't uh, use as much water. We don't get as much evaporation from the soil or from the plants. So the cooler nighttime temperatures means we're, we're getting by on the water we have. Unfortunately, I'm talking about our plants. I'm not talking about the water we need to do things like drink. Um, it may sound silly, but you would be amazed at how much water is required to produce electricity. The number one way we produce electricity in Texas is we heat water to make steam to turn a turbine. Well, it's not a closed loop. So we are using water just to make the electricity we're using. So that's a double benefit that it's cooler. Our AC units aren't running anywhere near as much. So we don't need as much electricity, but we still need the water to make it. So water is the key here. Whenever we can finally get that break in the weather where we start getting wet or we start getting long-term rain, it's going to help so much. It's going to help so much to fill the aquifers, the reservoirs, um, soak into the soil. The best way to capture rainwater is a good, healthy soil. So we need to start working on that to be ready to go. 
was out looking, uh, walking across my property, looking and see what is or isn't making it. And uh, I have a fig that has frozen to the ground every year for the past six years, I guess, five or six years. And this year, it is finally put on enough height. It's probably almost three feet, feet tall and multiple stems that are three foot tall that looks like it's finally going to make it and grow around here. Now, it hasn't produced a fig yet. It's an unusual fig. They, they're super delicious. They're just hard to get to grow around here, called a panache or a tiger fig. And um, it's finally getting over that hump of being a happy camper. Good growth on it, lots of leaves. Um, I'm actually going to dig it up and move it this year. I want to put it somewhere where I can I can get it water if I need to. And that should make a difference in the health of the plant. Hopefully, it will make a difference and give us a lot more figs. I see that I lost a pear tree and an apple tree, two apple trees and a plum in the heat. They were not very big trees and I, they are at the farthest point of my property, getting them water. If, it, if they didn't get enough from the sky, I'm sorry, I couldn't help them out. And they've been around a few years, but nope, none of them made it during this particular heat storm we had. So I'm going to be pulling all, all of those out, um, make sure I cut low enough if I have to so that it won't hit my lawnmower. That's always a wonderful thing to happen, to be mowing in here, that thud that just stops your lawnmower instantly. Well, I'm going to try to get those stumps out of the way, and I'll wind up losing one, two, three, four. I, I probably will wind up losing uh, six different trees. They just didn't cut it, and it was too far for me to try to provide them water. They were um, 200 feet from a nearest water source. That wasn't, that wasn't close enough for me to run hoses for them. So unfortunately, I'm going to be down a few trees that I, I won't be replacing them. It just isn't worth the trouble considering how far away the trees are. Now, trees that are much closer to my house, where I can get them water fairly easily, they're doing okay. I may have lost a big tooth maple. That'll be very, very disappointing. Um, I got nothing but crispy branches on it. Uh, they, it should have made it in its location because there was runoff water from more than one source to go buy it. But 
I don't think it handled the heat very well. And I may have lost one um, Yopan Holly. That was amazing to me because I have two. They're right next to each other. One's good and green and one is brown and crispy. So not sure what happened there, but I'll have to be replacing those if I wish to. The plants I didn't want, they thrived. I got Vitex that I cut down. I'm going to have to cut it all down again. It's going crazy. Can't figure that out. But, oh well, got some landscaping work to do. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. I'll catch everybody on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You know, um, out walking around on my property yesterday, uh, it was such a nice day. Just warm enough. A breeze was blowing. It was fantastic. Um Noticing what is and isn't coming up and kind of surprised at some of the plants, um, disappointed in some of the others, looking to start moving some plants. One of the things, people will build flower beds, right? And they'll make them into weird shapes and whatever you use for a border, maybe it's stone work. That's nice. That's up to you. That works just perfectly fine. Not an issue. Except it's hard to mow close enough around a flower bed with lots of curves in it. You wind up with a lot of grass that's left over. You got to come and probably weedy to get it to look decent. I've been starting to round out some of my flower beds, or at least that's the plan, I should say. Got a couple of beds that are real curvy, that classic kidney shape. That's a pain to mow around. So going to start to pull it out a little bit so it's rounder. Just go around it with the lawnmower. It won't be as much of a problem. I have several flower beds that I'm going to probably take out completely because the plants that are in it, they're just not doing very good. I can't believe, I, I think I lost my golf muley, my several year in the ground golf muley. It looks horrid. It's going to be easier to simply Remove the bed, let grass grow back into it, and just mow over it. I have a bunch of trees. I mentioned I lost maybe six trees. I'm not complaining because when I would go to mow, I'd have to do circles around all these trees to get the grass mowed. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. The trees died. I'm not going to replace them. I'm simply going to pull them out so that I can mow over them without damaging the mower. 
no hitting the stump. It's going to take less time to mow my property. I have more than an acre before people are going, well, how long does it take you to mow your yard? I have more than an acre. And having to go around all these places and then come back and have to weed eat it to make it look good, I'm kind of tired of that. I'm kind of tired of that. I lost... um, I lost a couple of shrubs. Fortunately, I did not lose my uh, Arizona cypress, the blue ice Arizona cypress. I have one that's, oh gosh, I would say it's it's nearly 20 foot tall. And I have one that's all of six foot tall. Now the six foot tall one, sure could look better but it survived it's doing just fine so i'm keeping the stuff that is worth the trouble the stuff that has died sorry you're not worth the trouble i'm going to pull it out and just have a clean pathway to mow now it'll be much faster for me to do so that may sound kind of wait a minute, you know, don't you want, don't you want a garden? No, I, I, I don't necessarily want a garden. There's a difference between the maintenance required for a flower bed and the beauty it may give you. I have plenty of plants and I'm going to be moving them to places where they're real easy to mow and maintain. I've had too many that are really far away from my house that I have to work around if I'm doing anything. That's, I'm gonna start working that out. This last summer has really, let's just say my enthusiasm isn't at a high point for being out in the garden. I know there are a lot of people going, oh, no, you it's beautiful. You love it. You can take care. I can do those things. I choose not to. I am not going to be out in that heat. If I've lost plants, it's a bad thing. I'm really sorry about it, but I'm not replacing them. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to change the flower bed shapes. And I'm going to cut down on the amount of maintenance I need to do. This will also change very much so the amount of water I'm going to need to put in places. Now, I don't tend to water my turf. (laughs) Let me explain that to you right now. I usually let the grasses do whatever they do and hope that we get enough rain, enough rain to keep the grasses going. If we don't, you know, I don't get excited about it. That's not really a big deal to me. I want to reduce the amount of water I need to keep things alive. The things I use water on, I want them to thrive 
to be plants that can handle the kind of weather that we've gotten. But I'm really not up into doing that kind of maintenance in 105 degree temperatures. And folks, we had 80 days of that. There's no, well, it'll, you know, it's only for a couple of days. It's for a couple of months. Had enough of that. Going to start simplifying. But in the process, I'm going to start beautifying. I'm going to take and use plants that require less and less maintenance, can handle the heat, and look just beautiful, even in the middle of summer. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I'm coming up to the bottom of the hour. We're going to break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Denise. Denise, what can I help you with? Hi. Um, I am having the same situation you are where I'm trying to figure out which trees are not coming back. And I have a rough leaf dogwood. And I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and think that it'll come back up at least through the roots. Um, but it also has some of those, uh, because they're thicket forming, they've got, I guess, some offshoots about three feet, four feet away that I would like to dig up and move to a different location if this tree does recover. And I was wondering if they're attached by the roots, is it okay to dig them up as long as I get as much root as possible? They should be that way. Um, yes, this is the answer to your question. You want to be generous when you start digging out around the shoots that are coming up, and you want a good sharp shovel because you're going to cut through those roots to lift up that, that shoot that's out there and go and transplant it. Now, do this in cool weather because... It's really hard on the plants, this kind of a transplant. So you want to do it when the weather is cooler. But you should be able to separate it and wind up with more rough-leaf dogwood or move it to where you need it to be. I happen to have a rough-leaf dogwood, and it did. It did form a nice thicket. It's been in the ground more than 10 years, almost 15, and every spring I get these beautiful white blooms on it. Um, right. But it is slowly forming a thicket. I did find that if I mow where I don't want it growing, it'll be fine. I, it cuts down the shoots, and the rest of it stays nice and dense. But you should be able to, using a good sharp shovel, cut through that root, Cut a big enough circle to lift out what roots you can, and you can transplant it. Okay. Thank you. I will do that. Uh, do you have time for one more quick question? Sure. I have sneezeweed. I think they call it bitter sneezeweed. And, uh, of course, it comes up prolific. It's annual and reseeds, and it's very prolific at reseeding. Um, ha have you heard of this? type of plant before i was wondering if it was a good pollinator well the problem with that is 
Um, that is a name that's really like a common name. So you have a little problem with, are we talking about the same kind of plant? Uh, I okay. see when I search it up is that it's called helenium. Um, it is a poisonous flowering plant. Wow, didn't know that. And it's in the aster family. Um, it is it is a pollinator. Bees will bees will attack it. Um, also known as a false sunflower. But yes, it, it is a pollinator, and it's a pretty plant, and it's included in a lot of uh, wildflower mixes. So you, if you have it, congratulations. More of it is better. Okay. I, I had seen it by the roadside and, and picked, up, picked some heads that had dried and the seeds were ready to fall out and yeah. brought it home, and over the course of a couple of years, it has completely taken over my gravel driveway uh, that I don't use. But um, it, so I, I didn't know if I could transplant some of it to other areas because it has survived this summer and has bloomed all summer long. Oh, well, that's one that you keep in mind because we don't have enough of those kind of plants. Yeah, you should be able to do that. And you have two choices here. You can just gather seed from what's in your driveway and move them, or you can try to um, you can try to dig some up and move it along. So either way would be um, a good way to propagate it. Okay, I, I was just wanting a second reference. I had looked it up and it. And then I read about the poisonous, but it, it seemed like it was more the leaves, and, but it seemed that it was a pollinator. And uh, before I moved it to other areas, I, I just wanted to be sure I wasn't just spreading uh, an invasive thing. No, I'm looking, and it's showing up at the Wildflower Center listing. Um, it, it shows up in Texas uh, nurseries. Um, it looks like you are lucky and you've got a whole bunch of it and it's working out perfectly for you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, sorry about the loss of all those trees. Yeah. You're not the only one. I'm, my neighbors had the same problem. We're all just dis dis so disappointed in it. But that's right. what nature does. Thank right. you for the call, Denise. Um, this is what this is how we get flowers. What do I mean by that? This is how we wind up with flowers in the nurseries. I'll give you an example. The um, Andy and Sally Wasowskis, they wrote the book about native Texas plants and which ones bloom, don't, et cetera, et cetera. In one of their very early books, they make the comment that um, several flowers 
several flowers that were wildflowers should be in nurseries because they're so drought tolerant, they grow in poor soil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sure enough, over time, more and more people started requesting these kind of flowers and we develop industries that grow them. So observing what you see growing in the ditch, I don't know any better way of putting it, what you find growing in the ditch, doing well with no care, that is a perfect candidate for a flower in your garden. You just can't believe where some of these things come from. We don't look for the most beautiful flower. We look for one of the hardiest flowers. And they'll do just fine, our wildflowers. And it doesn't take many years where we go from, I've never heard of that, to, holy cow, everybody is planting it. So look and see what's growing around. You can grab some seed. Maybe you dig up a little bit of the flower. Observe where it's growing and try to put it in the same kind of place on your property. And ta-da, you have a new wildflower growing. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's go to the phone. This is David. David, what can I help you with? Oh, hey, Jeff. Um, you know, thinking about the aftermath of uh, the two months of scorching heat, um, you know, what What can people do to uh, repair their, uh, you know, what's remaining of their lawn? And uh, I, I heard you talking about uh, trees having a hard time. I've always wondered whether the laws that say you can't go take a leak uh, near a, a tree is, uh, you know, outlawed. It's like nature being outlawed. That, uh, you know, the... Uh, ecosystem has humans as water carriers and uh, they drop it near where the uh, trees need to uh, flourish and we've gone for what a century now where it's all diverted so it's yeah we're in a strange position here but uh thinking about the aftermath uh, i'm just wondering what kind of uh, uh ground cover uh you know you certainly don't want to have uh kudzu but do I remember right that kudzu can go 80 feet from uh, its base? It, it, not a single tendril could touch down in 80 feet, and it would still survive uh, uh, stretched that far. Now, I'm thinking, you know, if there were ways where somebody could take something with a huge tendril like that, and you make, uh, you know, like grape arbors, you have those uh, trellises up there, and you just, uh, you know, have them... You, you train uh, these vines to go out over these uh, uh, trellises, and then you, you have planter boxes underneath it. And, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, like, uh, revive your, um, 
revive the soil by letting it cool down. Well, the the first thing that you really need to do to restore your soil is we have to have moisture because the organisms that actually do the work of the soil that give it its tilth, that convert nutrient, that hold water and oxygen and things like that, they have to have water to survive. So rule number one is we're going to need to have, to restore your soil, you're going to need to start seeing more rain or provide it with water. Right now, because of water restrictions, it's going to be waiting for rain. Number two, you need to provide organic matter. Because all those little critters that have died in the heat that you want back, they have to have organic matter to eat as a food source. Molasses, carbohydrates, uh, the soil activators, those products provide the water and the nutrients to get the biology to reproduce. And the more biology you have, the better the soil will be at retaining water and uh, in ensuring that when it does rain, you get that nice deep soak that you're really looking for. But the best way to recover the soil is not about the temperature. It's about having uh, food for that biology, and that biology has to have water just like we do. So moisture in the soil will help you recover your soil faster than anything else. Sure, yeah. Hey, one last thing. Um, you, Texas probably was a huge, you know, before 1927, all the way back to 1776, hemp was one-third of the American economy. And I would bet that Texas had that same percentage. And when they outlawed it in 1927 uh, by calling it marijuana instead of it being hemp, uh, there was a lot of ground cover that was destroyed, you know, eradicated. And I'm wondering if, you know, at least, because uh, that stuff, as an annual, man, it'll make a, he- a heck of a bush and, uh, and a lot of shade, and then you can introduce the critters in all that shade, and they can be spreading around uh, new seeds and, you know, creating uh, stability for the ecosystem. So I'm just wondering about, is Texas still hard-nosed against him? They have not had decent rulings yet. They can't decide as to whether or not they're going to allow people to grow it, and they want to put permits, licenses, things like that on it, even if it's just raw hemp, not THC-producing hemp, but just raw hemp. So right now it's a legal battle, not a, a, what what do you want to say, battle with nature it would be a great product there are so many things you can make out of it but they can't let go of the fact that it may grow and have thc in it you know what's a shame is uh they cattle silage uh i remember seeing uh, uh, a book that was describing all of the different uh, uh 
you know, the hemp. In fact, the Department of Agriculture had these, you know, the in the monthly or annual reports before 1927, they talked about the hemp economy and cattle silage. You know, it was massive. It was high, good quality, good quality protein. And then, of course, those cattle flops would be a good, solid topsoil. And uh, uh, so it, it um, yeah, it's it just amazing how short-sighted they were to allow Basically, Henry was this, he was a famous publisher, uh, William Randolph Hearst. And uh, Hearst, uh, he was the one that created the Spanish-American War, and they rewarded him by giving him vast forests. And he didn't know what to do with all these trees, and by outlawing hemp, he outlawed hemp paper. And then trees became used for paper. And so he basically was looking for an opportunity to make, you know, to profiteer from his uh, 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 trees and used it to outlaw a whole plant, and an ecosystem was decimated because of it. So he, yeah, William Randolph Hearst, he put him down as one of the scoundrels of the world, probably part of the reason why global warming is, is as fast as it is, because he... Cutting down trees has become an industry as opposed to uh, letting them sh- uh, shade us and, and slow down the winds. Uh, David, I'm coming up at the top of the hour and I need to break for the news. Um, thank you for the call, folks. This is starting naturally. We'll be right back. <laughs> 